We are back with episode 29, and again, I am sitting down with therapist Joe Iben. So far, the first podcast Joe and I did together has been the most listened to podcast. I believe a lot of you all sent it out to your friends. I know I sent it to basically all of my clients, and I think you're going to find this one just as beneficial. In this episode, he is helping us break down the collective unconscious of diet culture and the difference between that and living well. So what does that mean? I want you to focus on that first word, unconscious the collective unconscious. You guys, we are not awake to what is happening to us. And it's time that we wake up and look at the bill of goods we're being sold. Look at the old programming that has been installed in us, not necessarily by us. So your eyes are going to be opened to um, really the the reason behind the way you behave and the way that you think the way you do and perhaps the reason that you're always coming up short on your goals and why you haven't been able to change just yet. We remind you that you are actually in control and that's a big part of waking up, making the unconscious conscious because until we are aware of it, as you all know, we cannot change it. So this one, you're going to probably have to listen to a couple times. Um, We do talk about Joe's services. He is booked up right now, but you could get on a wait list with him if you think that you need therapy in regards to something like this. You guys know, I think everyone needs therapy. So maybe Joe isn't available right now, but search out someone that is available. We can't do all this reprogramming by ourselves. Some people can but most of us need a little bit of help discovering those patterns. And with that, you will be unstoppable. So enjoy, and we'll talk to you soon. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, everyone, it has been a little bit since we have recorded a podcast, and I wanted to come back with a bang, which is why my friend Joe Ivan is the perfect person to start with. Um, I'm fairly certain that all of you already listened to the first podcast I did with Joe and it was on body dysmorphia. We could probably talk for several hours. Um, Today we're going to be talking about (laughs) diet culture and how it fits in with um, white supremacy and racism and culture and all of the things. So get ready for another great ride. Um, I'm sure you're going to have some questions following up this one. So Joe, can you talk about, like, how does diet culture fit in with, like, our privilege, since we're both white people? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, is if the, it's such a big thing. For, first of all, thank you for having me on. Oh, it's great to be with you, and I and I um, am so grateful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the piece, when it comes to understanding and dismantling diet culture a little bit, currently in our world right now, it's an opportunity for us to ask deeper questions you know, look at that karmic mirror a little bit that is painful to see and also recognize some hard truths about the world that we live in 
even if it, we don't believe that we individually are affected by it, we live in a system that is. And so when it comes to our current questioning, dismantling, disruption, and some true passion around having a dialogue and a change in our culture when it comes to race and equity and privilege. Mm -hmm. I feel like as a counselor, I see it come up in many aspects of our life. Um, and when it comes to diet culture, oftentimes the remembering the ideal image of what we see in our culture and the ideal body image is traditionally white. Mm -hmm. And if we look at pieces of, especially when it comes to women, the traditional standard of beauty is long, straight hair, a very thin physique, and then typically enhancements, whether it be larger boobs, larger butt, larger lips. Um, majority of health initiatives are geared towards white women. The majority of advertisement that we see when it comes to fitness is white women. Our fitness culture and our food culture, it really does mostly cater to upper middle class Caucasian people that can either afford the fitness or can afford food uh, that is higher quality. And so recognizing that it's steeped in that number one, and how there is a profound link with how we feel about our body and the cultural messages, and then how we choose to diet, how we choose to eat. And I think whatever we call it, we can call it a plan, we can call it a lifestyle, we can call it whatever we call it. It depends on the current moment, what word we're comfortable with, right? You yes. know, before it used to be starving, then it became now it's a cleanse, right? Like there's always, <laughs> There's always a word that we're more comfortable with, right? Essentially looking at right now, you know, what is it that's going on for us in terms of what is informing our decisions on how we eat and what kind of a um, plan that we choose to follow? And I think that it's really steeped in this cultural message of um, white supremacy, privilege and even deeper than that like financial privilege uh -huh. you know i know that the idea of what we do to people in our culture that don't eat the quality of food that we think that we that we should oftentimes is a moral judgment and we forget to look at costs we forget to look at financial resources we forget to look at accessibility like if you go into poor neighborhoods, you're not going to necessarily find a Whole Foods and Trader Joe's available to you easily. And that's just the reality of our, of our um, culture and recognizing that impact. And when we are constantly talking about health and we're always having conversations about diet, we're really speaking to a small percentage of, of our culture. You know, that's really interesting because if I didn't have a lot of money, let's say I was a single mom, I didn't have a ton of money, I probably would go to Taco Bell a lot so I could feed my family for a couple dollars, like get all the tacos for $5 and find dinner served. It's not healthy, but they're eating. Like that's all I can do. It's not really fair that I can't mm -hmm. afford to eat organic or, you know, whatever is quote unquote better for us and our family. Wow, that's a lot. Do mm -hmm. you... Are your clients, I, I don't know if you could say, do they, are, 
are they mostly like white clients? Are they female? What's mm -hmm. it like? I mean, I have a pretty diverse base of clients that I work with. So I would say I work with about 50% men, 50% women, mm -hmm. work with a few uh, gender fluid folks that don't choose to identify. Um, but I believe fundamentally we're all in this culture and we're all affected by it. You know, I, I work with this mansplaining diet culture all day long with folks. I would say that I don't specifically only treat eating disorders and food struggles, but I would say a big percentage of the clients that I work with comes to me with that specific issue. I'm somewhat known for that and I've been referred by other people that will recommend my services. Um, but really helping people see how we are 95% run by our unconscious. And most of that programming occurred under the age of 10 years old. And it's a truth and a reality that we struggle with so much because I believe it's a control issue, Kylie. I don't think that we fundamentally are willing to acknowledge like, wow, I have this programming and it's deep and, it's, and it was formed when I was so young. And 95% of my behavior, my thoughts, my ideas stem from that. Mm -hmm. And being able to really work with dismantling, understanding, shifting that is quite painful because what most of the time we want to do is look at like, well, this past week, this is what happened. Mm -hmm. You know, oftentimes I tell clients like, don't just tell me what happened this week. It's fine if you want to give me an update. That's great. But like, let's really get to what is running your life and what messages are unconscious. And the sad part is, or the I shouldn't say sad, the difficult part is, is that we're unconscious to that. Like we yeah. think that we're doing, like we're totally in our present mind, but really we're so often on autopilot. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to the diet culture, it really is a window into how we feel about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is we're going to be drawn to things that, on some level match our personality or mm -hmm. reinforce a story mm -hmm. and so i know for me personally i was majority of my young life up until probably my 20s diet was about a punishment or a repent like a um like almost say going to confession for bad behavior mm -hmm. so it was like okay i must lose weight because i've been bad and i've gained this weight or i must go on a cleanse or eat or do a juice cleanse because i ate poorly mm -hmm. so in for years my idea of diet and food was always a game of i was either rewarding or i was punishing mm -hmm. i was rarely doing anything between those two things yeah. so i was always like fuck it, it's Friday, I'm going to get a pizza, or it's Tuesday, my jeans are tight, I will punish myself, and I will follow like a ketogenic diet or something, and I will be able to adhere to it 100%. And I think that that culture, it's easy to be able to go, oh, the culture messages are terrible, we have to like, you know, fight everything, we have to ban this, we have... I get that it's, it's quite insidious, but I do believe it's an opportunity for us to get really curious about what do we believe about ourselves? What do we believe about how we live? Mm -hmm. And what do we believe about how we nurture ourselves? Oh my gosh. I have so much goodness. I can't stop writing stuff down. <laughs> oh, I mean, how do we go about this dismantling? Yeah, yeah. Massive question, right? I would say, you know, I think it's so massive, Kylie. It's important to like look at a couple factors. 
it's really important to look at like, what do we believe around food mm -hmm. and diet and plan and um, framework or ideology? you know recognizing that that matters it will influence the way that we treat ourselves it will also influence the way that we eat so if you are a person that ethically deeply disagrees with any kind of animal abuse on any level and you follow a vegan diet we would be able to say this person has an ideology and their food and their way that they eat kind of follows and falls in line with that but then when it comes to aspects of like sugar consumption uh, the idea of cleanses, the idea of carbohydrate restriction, that's where it gets a little bit tricky because then we have to get really curious about like what messages are we really believing? Mm -hmm. You know, I think that we are so easy to go to this very shameful moralistic place with it. Like think about our diet industry and our food industry. And sometimes I'll use those words synonymously. I don't think they're drastically that different. Diet and food industry, they're really similar. Big food and diet industry is all about scaring us on some mm -hmm. level. So we are gonna be told that we have to be scared because if we're scared, then we can be controlled. And then if we can be controlled, we're gonna spend our money on a lot of bullshit that doesn't work. And then we're gonna stay stressed out and then we're gonna blame ourselves when the diet doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Right, so we're gonna stay in this place of deprivation or extreme discipline that really is gonna set us up for failure. And then instead of us being able to go, oh, I believed something incorrect. I got caught into a fad or I believed some of the propaganda. We will blame ourselves. And you know, it's so much, so much, so much easier for us to be fooled than to believe that we're being fooled, so much. Okay. You know, so think about how we are politically. It's very difficult for us to have a political view and have that challenge and us walk away and say, I've changed my mind. I understand differently. Mm -hmm. Same thing with diet. So you can probably preach to your clients all day about the importance of not cutting carbohydrates and they will still struggle with maybe understanding that that is, um, a myth and that is false information that's damaging. Or we will have people that are, I work with clients that are very fat phobic and they will, because that word is synonymous with weight, they will be scared to eat fat. And so really being able to kind of dismantle our messages around it. And then also look at how the food industry uses language that really pulls into our psychology. So like guilt-free, like popcorn. Yeah. So just that, just seeing that in our unconscious mind, our unconscious mind will say, if I eat something that doesn't seem like this, then I should have guilt. Therefore, when I eat it and I have guilt, it will be reinforced, mm -hmm. you know, and knowing that food advertisers will play on the psychology of people wanting to essentially do the right thing mm -hmm. or make a good choice or mm -hmm. follow in alignment with what, think, what they think they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. You know, I work with clients that they're, they will go and they'll get information from their doctor that they need to lose weight. And so then they will start buying like low fat products at the grocery store or they'll buy light type products. And the thing that's so hard is that it's such a mind fuck, if you will, because people are 
really trying to make a choice that's different, trying to help themselves, but basically they're being kind of sold a bill of goods by the marketing industry, making them think that they're doing something better when reality, you and I both know, it's the same garbage, just marketed a little bit differently with maybe a little bit of playing with the chemistry of the processed food to make someone feel that they're making a better choice. And then it just constantly reinforces that whole idea of, oh, I can't even trust myself now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I try, I try and inform people, too, to look out for the things that say low fat or like it'll say keto friendly. Great. I mean, of course, these peanuts are keto friendly or um, gluten free. Like just because it's gluten free or fat free or low fat, it does not mean that it's healthy. We have been doing this huge focus on eating a little bit less processed foods in my monthly group. And one of the reasons we're doing it is because, like you said, it's not our fault when I can't stop eating Cheez-Its. I mean, it's partly my fault, but it's the engineering of the food that the food industry is doing to these things. They are setting us up to fail. Absolutely. Well, the thing that's so difficult for our mind to grasp is that the food industry has zero interest in public health. They have 100% interest in profit. And we struggle with recognizing that painful reality because we're in it. It's almost like trauma bonding. It's like if we're kidnapped by someone, on some level, we're going to have to find connection with that kidnapper because Mm -hmm. we're in the midst of trauma. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing that we do with all of these big industries because even when it comes to healthcare, the idea of healthcare being only for the sole purpose of caring for our health is is false. It's a for-profit industry. Mm -hmm. The food industry is very much interested in making sure that we keep buying their products. So if they are engineered chemically with a lot of brilliant scientists behind them to engineer the exact taste, shape, and sound of that food to create the most profound pleasure in our system, once we start eating it, it's rare that someone can really practice self-control naturally, quote unquote. It, we, it is set up to constantly want more and to give a response to that brain that gets the hit. Mm-hmm. And so the, the food industry is brilliant at knowing that when you combine sugar, fats, and salt in the exact perfect combination, the bliss point in the brain really gets hijacked. It's very similar to like a diet soda. The sweetness of a diet soda is so extreme. It hijacks the brain and we start looking for more sugar right after. You know, and being able to help people understand it's this combination of two things. Can we not be in denial around the reality of how food affects us? And can we speak about it in a way that's loving and compassionate and centered and grounded in some science? Yes. You know, like speak of it in that way, but then also be really honest with our individual experience of how it affects us Mm -hmm. versus well, you know, I have a friend and they don't really binge on potato chips. Or I noticed that another friend of mine doesn't really seem sensitive to this. It's like a respect and an, uh, and the way that I try to help my clients see it is let's tell the whole truth through compassion versus our own bullshit lie while we're shaming ourselves because we know it's a lie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
Well, and I would, I would guess like a lot of that shame that we're putting on ourselves is from that deep programming that happened before, you know, when we were seven and younger. Oh, yes. And how do you help your clients reprogram? Yeah, great question. First of all, we have to recognize that we're programmed and, be, and we were brainwashed on some level. And yep. that's a tough one. That's a tough one because it requires us to surrender this fantasy of control. Mm-hmm. This fantasy that, oh, I'm not influenced by advertising, even though they spend billions of dollars a year on it. I'm not influenced by those Instagram ads. I'm not influenced by, I mean, the two biggest food, food sources in the world with the highest amount of advertising dollars are Coke and Pepsi. Do you know any person alive that does not know what those products are? And they still spend the most on advertising, hands down. Wow. There is something to the unconscious, sleeping, resting part of the mind that is deeply entrenched in these beliefs. And so first of all, I think it's just helping someone recognize that they were even programmed in that way. Mm-hmm. And then also really supporting someone and recognizing that it's going to be horrifically difficult to go against programming, but it's possible. Yeah. You know, we say it all the time. You know, Juju, I hear this with my clients all the time. Well, my family history is, my mom was like that. This is just how we are. We're Italian. We're German. <laughs> you know, we're Catholic. Whatever the thing is, is it's, it's the justification mm-hmm. for our programming. Because we get these, we most, most of the habits that we develop in our family are because they're learned behaviors. It's not because our cell DNA is exactly the same as our grandparents in terms of a disease. It's really about the passing on of the belief structures. And so when you look at looking, when you look at dismantling the diet industry, we're against and we're pushing against a multi-trillion dollar industry. When you think of the diet industry, the fitness industry, the food industry, the restaurant industry, the function of all of these things to be successful is to profit. For In order for them to profit, we need to, on some level, kind of stay in a place of depriving and punishing and then rewarding and indulging. And each of us have those parts of our psyche that will light up. So if we're a person that is very aggressive to ourselves and we struggle with some self-compassion, we're going to love boot camp instructors and we're going to love diets that are extremely difficult to follow. Mm-hmm. If we're a person that lacks maybe a little bit of self-mastery and lacks some self-esteem in terms of believing that we can do it, we're going to be gravitated towards things that maybe have no guideline or you can play with the guidelines. Like I hear all the time from people saying they're doing a version of keto. And I'm like, oh, I was like, okay. Oh, so that means that like occasionally you decide to restrict your carbohydrates, which is going to kind of just throw you off all the time. Or people will tell me I'm occasionally doing intermittent fasting. So I skip lunch and I'm like, oh, so you're skipping the part of the day that your metabolic boost is at its highest. And then you're setting yourself up to overeat at dinner. It's like this willingness to recognize that like, we are so brainwashed by this idea that we have to be dead from the neck down, pay no attention to our internal experience and just follow some prescription. (laughs) I mean, we have got to wake up. 
Like, yeah. honestly, and like own the stuff. Like, hey, yeah, I've been programmed. Okay, now I'm on a reprogram. I mean, I'm sure we talked about Joe Dispenza in our first podcast. Yeah, I think, I, well, I know you and I, I, I believe we did, or we chatted about him another time. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. I can't get through a podcast without referencing him, but I feel like yeah. a lot of what he says would help anyone who is struggling with any of this stuff. Any of it, any of it. Well, the thing is, too, is it's that we are so powerful as human beings but we will analyze study lament and freak out but we really don't want to change behavior it's too hard you know i mean the thing i tell my clients all the time you can either take a walk or you can google walking for three hours and look at people walking which is going to be better for you and even when it comes to working with diet culture i feel like the biggest and most insidious damage we do to ourselves is when we go unconscious and we aren't even connected to what our experience is with eating, with food. It's all about the macros or the ingredients. There's no like experience. Mm. What I tell my clients all the time, I'm a person that is in recovery from wicked eating disorders. I can binge easily on food when I'm stressed out. My head can go to a fucked up place with food if I'm not careful and I'm not aware of my process. And what I also know to be true is that the obsession and the hyper-focus on the a specific food is not as important as the attitude and the mindset that you're in while you're going to eat it. It is very difficult to binge on garbage when you are present. Is it possible? Probably. It's very difficult because binging and mindless eating occurs when we are unconscious. We are stressed and we're in our mind and we're in a dialogue and we're doing something that is completely on autopilot or we're looking at a television or we're driving or we're busy doing something. It's very difficult to like force our body to eat something that's not in our best interest if we're fully present and we're calm and we're in our breath and we're aware. Most of the time, food is very much like it's a science game with people. So it's like you're going to warm up a, like, a frozen paleo meal in the microwave while you're sitting in front of the computer thinking that you're doing something healthy for yourself versus actually taking some time, spending time actually eating and not being distracted and maybe letting go a little bit around the exact specifics of what you're eating. But are you actually nourishing yourself are you feeling satisfied mm -hmm. you know and that's the question that i think is so painful because we have to really get in our body get in our psyche and that's where the trauma is and so i think what happens is when we start to feel a little bit better when we choose different foods when we start to become a little bit aware we also sometimes activate those parts of ourselves that we that have been asleep for a long time and that could be really scary. So then what we see is people jump on the diet, back diet bandwagon again because it's so much easier for me to get really curious about my carbohydrate macros than it is for me to get curious about why do I keep sabotaging myself and why am I hurting myself? It must be the, car it must be the macros. Let me call Kylie and see if I should have 140 or 145. It has to be that. Oh, so true. I know in the first podcast we did, it was like right in the middle of, of the pandemic when it was really thick. I don't know. Maybe it's still thick. I don't know. I try and just go about my business. But um, 
but it was like said, I think it was like a month in, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was pretty <laughs> intense. And yeah. we were talking about like our food stuff, our shame around food, and our bodies is like the low hanging fruit. So when we freak out, yeah, I'm gonna think about my body when I should be worrying about like my child's education or whatever else big things are going on in my life. But it's Absolutely. easier for me to control what I eat, what I look like, and things of that nature. Absolutely. It's also easy for us to scapegoat the body and the food and the diet for the reason why we feel unhappy, unsatisfied, or disconnected. You know, it's as, I think what I try to uh, look, I try to really acknowledge this for myself as well as who I, who I work with is when I'm in a place where I am hypercritical or I'm struggling with something emotionally, it's very easy for me to use food as a way to guilt myself um, or tell myself I did something wrong or something right. It's a willingness to be able to stand back from all of this and just get curious about what's going on for us mm -hmm. psychologically. And then also having a little bit of like this balance point of how do we practice some self-love and forgiveness when we do human things? Mm -hmm. and have a little bit of discipline in our life and consistency, knowing that, in my opinion, discipline and consistency are profoundly self-loving. Motivation, motivation, very temporary, and willpower is usually punishing. But it's a willingness to be able to look at, like, it can be a gift to be consistent, mm -hmm. to be able to maybe say no thank you to things that don't work great in our body, mm -hmm. and then to be willing to be honest about if we do keep gravitating towards foods that really don't feel good in our body long term or don't align with our goals or create inflammation or create mood disturbances or create weight gain, instead of kind of hauling it in so intensely and being more restrictive, could we really get curious about that impulse that we have sometimes to sabotage ourselves mm -hmm. or to ignore what we know to be true? You know, so it's like, if I'm in a place where I'm researching diets online, personally, that's a red flag for me that something in my life is really feeling out of control. And I'm looking to get a little bit tweaked out on something. Mm -hmm. It's like, and it doesn't mean that anything is good or bad, right or wrong. That's why I think the idea of diet culture, if we look at it from our political lens, and our white supremacy lens, it's a willingness to go, I could say I'm an intuitive eater and I follow an intuitive eating plan. And then I also might notice that there's parts of me that get really kind of pulled up in like, or get pulled into like a rule or a diet culture belief that can be damaging. It doesn't mean that I have to start at square one or that I have, that I'm wrong. It's a willingness to go, how can I understand myself, the way that I eat and the culture and make it work for me? and know that there's nuance and that there needs to be more of a specific conversation about what the struggle is versus right, wrong, yes, no, good, bad. And it's kind of like a um, product of our Instagram culture too. If you look at so many Instagram posts, it'll say something like, eat this, not that, do this, not that. And I think what that does is like, yeah, for like a quick second, it might, you know, swap something out for somebody and it could be helpful. But what I do think that it reinforces the unconscious mind is that there's right and wrong choices. And then when we make a quote unquote wrong choice, then we will use that to reinforce that we are wrong. Mm -hmm. That will activate our shame and our likelihood of repeating it will be very high. And then we'll be on that roller coaster again. And then we'll say, nothing works. I'm a failure. I've tried everything. Like I tell clients all the time, 
every fucking diet will work. But the reality is, is we're human beings and we're complex and we're very experimental and we have seasons of change in our life. It's just not, nothing's really permanent. It's a willingness to every single day have things in your life that align with your values. And when you veer off of it, practice a little bit forgiveness and pull yourself back in. Mm-hmm. So interesting, as you know, you're talking about this and the two types of people, those that struggle with self-compassion and those that struggle a little bit more with self-mastery and the discipline. The yeah. majority of people I work with, they fall into that first category and they struggle with self-compassion. They're very hard on themselves. You know, I yes, work with absolutely. a lot of high-performing people and that's worked for them. But I see it backfiring when they do something that they feel is off track or off plan and oftentimes I'll look at it and I'll be like there's no big deal like this is literally right. not a and they're yeah. just so hard on themselves um or maybe it is maybe they really did have a day where they totally binged and went off the rails but mm-hmm. they do come back to that cycle and they're just so hard on themselves it's this self-loathing and you just can see someone really get stuck there it's really sad mm-hmm. it's deeply punishing and oftentimes it's ingrained in our childhood. Mm -hmm. So if we experience a lot of judgment, criticism, hyper-performance, high expectation, um, nothing but the best. I mean, I work with young kids that will say to me, well, I must get straight A's. There's no options for B's. What? You know? Yeah. I mean, that's just standard based on where they're going to school, based on their parents' expectation, based on cultural um, messaging. It's fascinating when we kind of piece pick it apart a little bit is to just understand that we got these messages and they became encoded and entrenched in who we are it's really scary to feel differently or to think that we were given some information by our parents or the culture that actually harmed us and so the idea especially i work with very perfectionistic people that will say, well, I screwed it all up. And then they'll tell me what they did. And it might be something they ate, or it might be that they missed a workout or that they called an ex or something like they drank when they said they wouldn't like just fill in the blank. But oftentimes what I believe is that many messages we get from the culture, especially from the therapeutic community is that We do certain things and then we feel a certain way. I believe that we feel a certain way and then we do certain things to back that up. So if you're a person that's highly perfectionistic, you absolutely on some unconscious level will do things to make sure that you can keep feeling that feeling of failure or beating yourself up over and over and over again. In the therapy world, we call it repetition compulsion. We have this compulsion to keep repeating the same exact behavior. And then it aligns with our story. And then we don't feel crazy because we have to do shit that aligns with our story, period. I feel seen a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Not with my my eating stuff, but with um, my business is very cyclical and I keep on doing these certain things at a certain point in time. And I'm realizing that I'm probably doing that to myself because I'm like addicted to that feeling and I don't want to like change it. Yes. Yes. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's like, 
the part that I think is so fascinating is when we have a little bit of levity and we realize that we are entrenched in a culture, we're entrenched in a city, we're entrenched in a family, we're entrenched in, some of us are entrenched in religion. It impacts everything in the way that we tell stories about ourselves and the way we view our behavior. It's really hard for us to go, my story is this, therefore I will respond like this. Mm-hmm. We have a hard time with that. So what we'll say is, well, everything was fine till Corona. <laughs> and I, yeah, I tell my clients, I'm like, no, you were depressed before the pandemic, you know? I'd be like, no, your struggle with overeating was happening way before the uh, pandemic, you know? It's, we, we just, we love to bullshit ourselves, you know? It's the same thing with like, I will have clients tell me, oh, I, you know, because I'm very much the idea of a, a middle ground. What I mean by that is I never tell clients not to diet, but I tell them oftentimes the side effects from dieting. So I tell them, I said, if you go to a doctor and they prescribe a statin for you, like you want the doctor to be able to say, okay, this is a statin, but you want them to give you some kind of side effects so that you're aware. So I tell my clients all the time, like, I do want to let you know what dieting tends to do. You know, the idea of, of dieting is, first of all, you're kind of committing to going unconscious because you're saying, I must be told what to do. And then we go into a, a, a very unconscious shame because eating fundamentally is something that we all understand and we all experience and is kind of imbo- it's ingrained in us how to eat. But so if we're told that we have to do it differently, shame will be activated. And then we will either rebel against it and say, I want to live my life. I'm not following that diet. Or we will get pulled into a punishing relationship with it sometimes. And we will adhere to it. And if we don't do it perfectly, we will use that as ammunition to beat ourselves up. And recognizing that the diet industry banks on that on some level, because they want to make sure that you're still buying the book, buying the potion, or buying the bullshit that they're selling. And so it's always, how do we middle, how do we balance out this idea of, I know for me personally, when I follow a plan that seems mostly holistic in terms of whole foods, um, trying to avoid shit that comes in a package or that has advertising on television, uh, I try not to eat snacks, but I don't want to be hungry either. So trying to balance out the idea of not feeding myself 24 hours a day with snacks, but also not getting really hungry. I mean, it's kind of a lifelong process. It's also making me look at how I believe about myself. What do I believe about family traditions when there's times I've said no thank you to people and they think that it's insulting or there's times that I've eaten food that I've told myself, you know what? just eat this, it's great, and then my body doesn't respond well. Like all of these things kind of force us on some level to look at what do we believe about ourselves and what do we believe about our life. Mm-hmm. That's really hard. And so it's easier for us to say, I read an article on Instagram and bananas are bad. So bad. Let me do so bad. <laughs> Totally right. joking. Anyone who does not understand my sense of humor. I know, right? I'm the same exact way. I know. I tell clients all the time. I'm like, I'm a little sarcastic sometimes. I'm sorry. But I think that's a really powerful question too that I like to talk about with my clients um, when it comes to like dieting. What what do you believe about this whole process? Do you expect it to be hard? Do you expect that you have to suffer? Do you expect to have lots of rules and lots of guidelines that you have to follow because it doesn't have to be that way. It's all about self-talk, I think, too. Mm -hmm. Recognizing that like 
our self-talk is a manufacturer of the caregivers that we had when we were young, as well as uh, the culture at large in our peer group. So recognizing that movies and television and internet absolutely influence it, so does our family, right? And so what I noticed too is like the way that we speak to ourselves. So the other day I was having tacos with a friend of mine and he is an incredible athlete and in my opinion eats quite well. And so we were going and he instantly started giving me reasons why he was eating as many tacos as he was. Oh. And I kind of, yeah, and I stopped him midway and I said, you know, um, you're allowed to have as many as you want and I love you. It's all good. <laughs> and just even those, those small things that we sometimes say to ourselves. I hear this a lot with people. I was really bad this weekend. Oh. Go, oh my God, what did you do? And like, I'm like, did you, did you have an affair? Like, what did you do? Like, what, what, you know, I was like, something good. Did you shoplift? Like what happened? And they're like, oh, I ate brownies. <laughs> oh, that's it? Lame. Yeah. And a lot of times too, I'm like, noticing the powerful belief. We can look at it two ways. I ate in a way that didn't make me feel great and kind of zapped my energy mm -hmm. or I was bad. And I think that is so powerful. It's not about denial. And I think that what we do oftentimes is we swing on the opposite side of things. What I mean by that is those people in the community of intuitive eating, I deeply respect. But I do think that there's sometimes a little bit of a black and white polarizing feeling of, mm -hmm. If you do want to make changes to feel better, if you do want to have less weight on your body because you're tired, if you do want to feel strong and in, in good shape, that that's wrong. And I think that both of the messaging is poor. So the idea of wanting to change your body to change your life because you want to feel good and you want to have more vibrancy and energy, I support. Now, if you feel that if you change your body, that's the only thing you have to do. And it's not really about your mind. It's not about your entire lifestyle. It's just about your body. Then I think that, again, it's a polarizing thought. And so I think with everything that we struggle with, politically, with our current um, racial injustices in the world and waking up to a lot of the stuff that has been happening in our, in our world for a long time that we want to stay asleep to, looking at diet mentality and the way that we treat ourselves or that we look at filtered images all day long and mm. we start to think that that's good or you know um they if we look at fitness videos and we know that a lot of people that are doing those fitness videos naturally either have a body that will look like that because of their dna or that's just the way they're built and then we will think oh well if i do this exact exercise i will have a butt like that you know, I'm Eastern European. I'm never going to have a fucking killer huge ass. I'd love one, but that's just not <laughs> how my DNA is built. You know, it's just not. It'd be great if it was, but it's not. It's like a willingness to also recognize too. It's like, do we use all this information to shame ourselves? Because we're like, well, I don't look like that. Or, you know, I was bad yesterday. I ate this, you know. Mm -hmm. so a couple of things that I want to talk about this. Um, I think I was listening to Brene Brown talk about something, but it was like where we put that I was bad. No, you're yeah. not a bad person. It, what you did, like you said, it wasn't in alignment with what you were doing. You don't need to put that I'm a bad person. I'm a sh I feel ashamed of myself. No, you just made a poor decision. No big deal. Mm -hmm. You can make mm -hmm. another decision next time. I really thought that was powerful. And then also what you're talking about um, – with the intuitive eating and the reason that you do it, I think the why is honestly one of the most important 
parts? Am I doing it because I want to feel great, more vibrant, have more energy? Or am I doing it because if I look a certain way, I'll finally get a partner? Yes, I'll be happy. exactly. Because, right. you know, that's not going to solve the problem. No, and they, we will. if we fundamentally do not believe that we deserve love in the body that we have right now, we will absolutely sabotage any effort to keep staying in that body that we're not comfortable with. You know, so I tell clients all the time, if you're not happy at this body, you may have some esteem stuff that increases when you, when you change your body or you lose weight. Of course you will, it, but it'd be very temporary and you will find something else to then attack yourself about, or you will regain any weight that you put on because you have to keep that story going. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not okay the way that I am. And no body change or diet will heal that. I mean, they are tools. And I think that's the piece that's so challenging when it comes to understanding the entire industry, the way that it's built. There is a lie that is associated with the diet industry. It's more of like, if you take care of this, everything will be solved. That's marketing and that's profit. That's anything. Like you see a car commercial. They're basically like, if you have this car, you're going to be a badass. Like if you have this perfume, you're going to look like Charlize Theron, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's all really profound marketing and lies to keep us scared and to keep us questioning and to keep us feeling like we don't know. I mean, look at our current culture with the pandemic. If you question something or you ask anyone something that is against the party line instantly you will either be accused of something that you're not or you'll be banned right Mm -hmm. so just asking the question it doesn't mean that i'm believing in a conspiracy theory it doesn't mean that i'm arguing with science it doesn't mean that i am trying to uh Uh, hurt anyone but sometimes I just ask some questions I'm like huh this just doesn't seem super logical to me I wonder if there's more information right away that shut down the same thing with the diet industry if you question like huh the you know the the vegan diet the keto diet weight watchers Atkins all promise the exact same thing and it's a drastically different way to eat. I wonder what this is all about. Like, I wonder if this is all just fancy marketing. I wonder if it is, you know, but if you ask, they don't want you to ask that question. They want you to say, no, this is the last diet book you'll ever need. And you can eat as many wow chips as you want. And you might shit your pants, but you won't feel guilty. Oh, I miss you know? those chips. I miss Olesta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's you like right it. too, I think. Yeah. The thing is, is even feeling the idea, like when we could recognize that, like, we should not associate guilt, shame, and hatred for the way that we eat. We can stand back and have some observation. I know when I'm stressed out and if I'm snacking into the evening, it happens occasionally. What I know for sure is that it messes up my sleep and I don't feel amazing in the morning. Mm -hmm. But that's the facts and that's the data. If I eat after dinner into the evening, I tend to sleep poorly and I tend to feel some energy zap in the morning, period. Mm -hmm. Now, we can take that information and say, I'm out of control. I'm a pig. I can't believe I'm doing this. Something's fundamentally wrong with me. I need medication. I need a whole new diet plan. We can run with it. That is all messaging that we've absorbed from the culture, from our family, 
from, and I think on many levels online. Because online we typically, you know, the, my favorite thing is when I see trainers that will post like three big pizzas and ice cream and say, oh, I'm just having a fun day or whatever. And I'm like, they're not posting that 90% of the food that they're eating is probably in alignment with their nutritional goals. Yep. You know, so again, it's all about like, what's the cool buzzword, you know, right now, if I hear, I've actually said to clients when they say, I'm going to try keto and I'll say, okay, tell me what ketogenic means. And they literally are like, uh, I was like, exactly. It's all marketing. It's like, that's the new hot thing right now. We just have to recognize that if we ask questions, if we slow down, mm -hmm. if we get really quiet within ourselves and be inquisitive, we have so much wisdom. We have so much wisdom. Most of the time we don't trust it. And then we look for an external source, not to coach us, but to tell us what to do. So like, I know clients will get annoyed with me because I won't tell them exactly what to do. Yeah. I'm like, well, let's just experiment. Yeah. You know, what like would you do? Yeah. Um, I think if we could all slow down, it would solve a lot of our issues. Back Everything. up a little bit when you were talking about like mindless eating and binging, you're not, like you said, you're not present when you do that. You're not using no. your slow brain. You're using... No that quick instant gratification part of your brain. But if you like, I'll, I will say, Kylie, I will straight up out loud say, Kylie, do you really want to eat more of these Cheez-Its or more of the cinnamon toast crunch? Of course I don't. I'm just not present when I'm eating it. So then if I can say, no, Kylie, you don't, I could put this stuff away. And I'm like, are you actually hungry? But there's so much power in slowing down. And like you said, get mm -hmm. curious. What do I really want right now? Do I need to take a walk? Am I tired? Am I lonely? Mm -hmm. What's really going on? Absolutely. And the thing is, is you said it beautifully. And that the second component to piggyback on top of that, when we do eat mindlessly, when we do gravitate towards food that maybe doesn't serve us, can we practice gentleness, forgiveness, and curiosity versus attack punishment and then action plan the next day yeah you know it's kind of like the way i describe it is like this it'd be like you and pat are taking a drive together and you're having an important conversation while you or kylie are driving mm -hmm. and then you get to your destination if i were to ask you about that conversation and it was an important one you would probably be able to kind of tell me like oh we talked about this this is what was going on and if i asked you can you tell me the different things that you saw on the street while you were driving you would not be able to recall majority of it because that your autopilot unconscious mind, the, the very um, automatic part of your brain would be driving. And then you consciously would be present with your husband having a conversation. That's what we do with food oftentimes when we're distracted. We are like watching a show or we're in the midst of a heavy conversation or we're reading something and, or we're driving. And then the unconscious part of us is eating. So we're not really having the experience. We're not really checked in with what's happening to our body. And almost always we're gonna want more because we really were not conscious of the fact that we had that food. Even though our conscious mind will say, well, I just finished eating three minutes ago. The unconscious part of us is like, I didn't really have that experience, so I'm gonna look for more. And then when I have more, I'm gonna beat myself up because I'm out of control and I should have never done that. And oh my God, I'm terrible. Yeah. Or whatever we say, yeah. you know, or go to that pathological piece, which sometimes is just a sophisticated way to call yourself an asshole. Mm -hmm. So you'll just be like, oh, like I've got this deep addiction or all these things where it's like, I truly in my core 
do not think that any of us are fundamentally flawed, that we will just be an addict with food. But I do believe that we will gravitate towards foods that can be addictive in our system. And I think there's a very big difference. And it's all about the way that we treat ourselves. If we label ourselves an addict, or we label ourselves an overeater, or we label ourselves any of those things, we will act accordingly. Versus if we recognize there are certain foods that are engineered to go apeshit crazy on. And so I'm gonna just be aware of that. Like yeah. I cannot eat two chocolate covered cashews. I won't be able to ever do that. Like that's not possible. I, once they go into the mouth, my brain is like, I want most of that package gone. Like I just do. That's what I want. Yes. The quicker I eat them, the quicker they'll be gone. <laughs> right. And then the diet industry is like, well, that's bad for you. So we're going to give you these made of aspartame ones that are just as fucked up. And they're going to probably cause you a problem. And then you're going to label yourself as a problematic eater forever now. And then we're going to, then you're going to tell you that you should never eat that. You should only have protein. You know, like, it's just such, we get so many messages of shame, mm -hmm. guilt, not enough, mm -hmm. and punishing, mm -hmm. you know? It's like, we, 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 many of us as kids were given information that if we were good, then we would get a dessert. If we were bad, we would get sent to, we would get sent to our room with no food. If I know I was a heavier kid, so the messaging I got at school is that I was not good enough. I was not lovable. I was not athletic. I was not okay. I was teased and I was never picked to be first on the um, uh, gym. When you, you know, when you pick a captain in gym class and you pick your team, I was always the last one being picked. And that was not, and that was that those messages, what, what they did in my mind, Kylie, for years is it reinforces I'm not athletic, I'm not strong, I can't do this. And I'm I'll be 46 this year, and I've never had a better body in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like because I had to change the story that I believed about myself because I was surrounded by an environment that told me I wasn't okay. And the same thing is is the diet industry is an environment and a culture that keeps reinforcing to us over and over that we're not okay, we have to do something different. And then that science that came out last year is different now. And the thing I love about you is that you want people to be strong, you want people to be healthy, you want people to eat, and you also want people to kind of pull themselves out of their own bullshit because you know that that affects their self-esteem, they don't feel good. Like I tell my clients all the time, how do we get out of shame but get more into truth? You're not a bad person because you eat a bag of chips before dinner, but that, that probably is making you feel like shit long-term, but you're not a bad person. You don't even have to like beat yourself up if you do it. We just want to tell the truth about like, hey, this probably is reinforcing the story that you're out of control and that you need a strict diet and like, oh, I'm going to do this now and then Monday I'll get my shit together. Mm -hmm. that that is an unconscious what you're saying to yourself unconsciously is i have no control now mm -hmm. maybe in the future i'll have some control mm -hmm. that is a dangerous message oh my gosh and you know i think a lot of what you're saying keeps coming back to um dude like are you letting your subconscious mind rule your entire life you need to wake the fuck up and like take charge of your thoughts I mean, you can't be running off programming from 1982. It's, 2000, right. it's 2020. <laughs> we, but here's the thing, though, Kylie. We as humans deeply struggle. I was talking with a friend the other day around the idea of um, being a black person in our culture. And I said, do you, do you notice 
what happens for you as a white person in your body when you are around a black person that you don't know? Do you notice any subtle shifting? Do you notice that your mind unconsciously will, like you will maybe hold on to your purse or you will notice that there is a fear that comes about you because of the cultural messages that have been ingrained in all of us. Most, and my friends said, oh, absolutely not. I would never do that. That would never happen. And I said, that's where I think that we're a little misguided. I think that we're so terrified of recognizing that we've been brainwashed and programmed on some level in our culture to know that we, through movies, through music, through television, and through news, since we were young, saw images of Black people being violent, being criminal that stays inside of our psyche and we have to actively work against it. And we have to be conscious of going, I can have this bias. It is so unconscious, but I have to own it so that I can be the most healing and most loving person I can be and most awake really. Same thing with diet culture, like recognizing the beliefs and the ideas that we have, they're so unconscious. Most of the time we want to say, oh no, I would never believe that. No, oh, I'm different than that. Oh, I, oh, I get that. I learned that years ago. No, no, no. It's the same exact principle. We, no one wants to be told that they are misinformed. Yeah. No one, no one wants to be told they're misinformed. They, they, and will fight for the lie to keep the lie going rather than saying, wow, I was so misguided. I have to change my idea about this. Stop fighting for the lie. Oh, Joe, it's so write true. a book already. Just... <laughs> <laughs> so sweet. I got like I three chapters right here. Good night. <laughs> wow. Oh, this is good stuff. I hope everyone listening is starting to examine. Because that's all we have to do. We just have to get curious. Right. We have to get curious. And here's the thing. We have to recognize that our impulse is to bullshit ourselves because it's protection. It's the impulse. It's not uh, a reflection of our character. It's not that we were raised in a screwed up family. And our impulse is to bullshit because it protects ourselves from feeling that profound discomfort that we've been misguided mm-hmm. or that we've been taught something that's harmful. I mean, I remember I was talking with a client the other day. As a young kid, one of the memories that I have the most from kindergarten, for some reason, is on Thanksgiving we all sat down and we had a we had a meal together and we all sat down and ate in kindergarten and there was the pilgrims and the Indians. And I remember that experience is like we all sat down and had a sweet meal together. As an adult, the story of Thanksgiving is brutalizing and traumatizing. I in my mind had to say, wow, this belief that I had as a young kid that this was like this coming together as people and having a meal together was complete fantasy and incorrect it's the same thing with like we have to learn that carbohydrates don't make you fat like the I you know the idea of like no one diet is perfect for anyone or it's okay to experiment with things and decide if they work or they don't Mm-hmm. You know, I know I'm a person that if I were to be doing any kind of a juice cleanse or any kind of a restrictive diet, 
that will fuel the sickest parts of me to be obsessional and compulsive. And so I don't want to fuel that. But I know other people that that could be something that would be helpful for them. Maybe that would help them uh, get in touch with their hunger cues. Maybe it would help them take a break from a lot of the eating that they're doing and have some evaluation. Everyone's different. I'll never tell someone this is right versus this is wrong. It's this nuanced way to be able to say, what have I been taught that's been harmful? What have I been taught that's been helpful? And am I willing to acknowledge that I'm entrenched in a culture and in an industry that banks on the fact that I will be clueless, shaming myself, and seeking something external. Mm -hmm. It started with Cinderella. She had to like lose her shoe and find the prince or whatever bullshit that was in the story. Right. It was never like she was good on her own and told her stepsisters to fuck off. Right? It was like, you know? It's the same thing with the diet industry. The diet, like when I see guiltless and, or like, oh, like I see commercials that say, indulge yourself, eat haagen so I'm like, how about fucking have good self-care around your financial world? How about like call a friend that you need to talk to? Why are you indulging or like rewarding yourself with a bunch of shit that's going to make you not feel great in a little while? It's like mm -hmm. this willingness to kind of dismantle it and pick it apart and go, I've been given these messages that are kind of screwed up. And then who are the people in my life that I could turn to, whether it be my coach, my counselor, my dietitian, that, that can help me kind of work with some of this, these messages that are woven into my consciousness. Mm -hmm. Sorry, that, that, sounds, that sounds too like, you know, too deep, but you know what I'm saying? Oh no, it's not too deep, <laughs> okay. it's perfect. Oh, I love it. Wow, Joe. I think we've given everyone a lot to think about. <laughs> Just a little bit. Just a little I, know, I forget. So, I love talking about this. It's a lot, though. It's a lot. It is a lot, and we'll have to talk again too about um, how do we how do we draw this line from okay, I want to take care of myself versus I don't want to get sucked into diet culture. I, I think I want to talk about that again because I was telling Joe before we got started. One of the hard parts of my job. It's not hard. It's just comes to territory is learning when someone has is beyond my scope and like okay you need to talk with someone about your issues i can only help you mm -hmm. so much but you need a trained professional to deal with these thoughts and mm -hmm. these disorders and dysmorphia type things but that's a whole the part is too is it, it gets it gets brought up the more that we start to get into our body we start moving our body we start breathing you would think on a conscious level that's great that's the healer and unconsciously our trauma is stored in the body. And mm -hmm. so when we get in there, we're gonna have things come up. And that's when it's a good opportunity to work with a counselor, work with a coach, someone that can just support the stuff that is in there. And recognizing, you know, to kind of give a little bit of like a quick, a quick idea around um, what's the difference between wanting to eat better and take care of our body and feel good about wanting to shift things versus getting kind of um, seduced by the diet culture is mm -hmm. I would think, or I would say is that if we feel guilty for our food choices, we are being completely run by the diet culture and we're using it as self abuse. If we're using our food choices to inform the way that our physical body reacts and feels and gives us energy, then we're doing something for ourselves that promotes long-term wellness and health. It's really about when we're in the guilt and shame, just know on board, we're in a little bit of a disordered mindset because it's more punishing. And what it's doing is it's saying your behavior caused this. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, makes total sense. Yeah.
And I, yeah. I think it also comes back to like, you're examining your why. Why are you doing this? Is yeah. it a form of self-punishment or is it a form of self-love? Right. Oh, man. Okay, you guys see right? Yeah, everybody needs to go to therapy. I don't even know <laughs> if Joe has spots. Are I'm you full right up? now, but I'm full right now, but I have a wait list and there's always, like people come in and come out of our work together, which I'm so grateful for. So currently I have a bit of a wait list, um, but my hope is that some things will be opening up soon. But you know, the way that the world's going, it feels like people are wanting more therapy than less. So, who knows? Right, I know, I know my therapist is like, I gotta go on vacation. <laughs> I know, I just, oh, I, mean, I, I am grateful, I'm grateful for the work that I do. And I also know that like in these moments, like we just all need a little extra support. And I just happen to have a job that, you know, I get called a little bit more during this time. Yeah. I mean, and thank goodness, thank goodness we have you. What would we do without you, Joe? Oh, thank you, Kylie. Thank you, Kylie. Well, yeah. thanks again for your time. I'm going to get this up ASAP, and you are simply the best. Oh, thank you. You are too. It's always good to, to talk with you. Thank you again for having thank me. Thank you. Anytime. I'll talk to you, you soon, my friend. Bye. Bye. Bye.